bear with me here this morning. Uh, we're uh, trying to uh, work out everything with the new speakers and, and mics and everything. So I hope everybody can hear me fine. <laughs> no? Maybe I muted it. Hold on a second. Oh, there we go. It helps if you don't have it muted, right? So there we go. So good morning, everyone. Appreciate, uh, yeah, it does make a difference, doesn't it? It does. So I, I appreciate the uh, opportunity to speak to you this morning. And uh, let's just start at the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. If we look down a few verses below, then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. God so saw all that he had made, and it was abundantly exceedingly good. That's what that word that they use there for very means. It was abundantly and exceedingly good. That everything was good and pleasing and correct. That included the man and the woman. Both were created in God's image, so they, by definition, were good. And this is why we believe that uh, babies are innocent and they are born sinless by definition because we are all people born from God. One of the biggest lies from the enemy is that we humans are a somehow a disease upon this earth that we need to be eliminated or controlled or gotten rid of, that we destroy everything we touch and that we are inherently bad. And this is simply not true. God made us to have dominion over everything and to take care of it. If we look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. So the idea, this is our original purpose, is that we were to be good stewards of what God has created. The problem is that we are easy to deceive. If you look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, talking about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. 
So notice the lie, you'll be like God. Well, they were already made in God's image. So they were already like God. They just needed time to learn and mature, right? But the lure of that shortcut, that magic peel to make them God's equal, to know all that God knows, that was deceptive. And it, and it worked on Eve. And then you have Adam. Did he fall for the same deception? Did he fall for peer pressure? Or was it that she maybe knew something that he didn't know and he wanted to know that? Not really sure. Maybe it was some kind of envy. After all, she had already eaten that. Um, but nonetheless, he followed suit. So now we know the results of this, uh, this initial sin, the disobedience, the belief in the serpent over God. And essentially, when we do things like this, we're essentially calling God a liar. Um, that's what we do when we disobey or we listen to the enemy. We're basically saying we don't believe God. So they were pushed out of God's paradise, right? So we come to the age-old question. Why was the serpent in the garden? Or if God is good, why does evil exist? Why does God allow evil? Now, this is a question that some folks won't like. They may think it's disrespectful, but I don't think so. I think the world actually is asking this question and looking for that answer. And we need to understand and be able to provide that as best we can. So I have an answer from the Bible, and we're going to talk about it for a little bit here. I'll try not to be too long, but bear with me. The problem is, is that these are hard things to accept, that evil exists and God allows it. It's hard to think that way because it hurts our brain and it hurts our heart. But uh, I want to propose an idea that is probably not really new, and it's definitely not like just my idea, but I think it makes sense. When evil is possible, but we freely reject it, then we are most like our Lord. When we have the choice to do evil and we don't do it, we choose to do good instead. That's when we're following the Lord, right? If we had no choice, if evil was not possible, if we had no choice to do evil, then we would be like robots and we would not be like children. We wouldn't have a choice. So when the Lord allows us the choice of good and evil and we choose good, meaning that we are choosing God and good over evil and Satan, this is when we are being at our best and being more like our Lord. When we act good, as God, our Father, has been to us, because we, we can acknowledge that he has been very good to us, he has blessed us with everything, then we are, again, acting more like our Lord and growing into him. Doing something good for someone else with no tangible benefit or profit to us, you know, maybe even doing something good when it's a detriment to us. Again, that's when we're at our best, right? We're choosing good. And choosing good over evil 
will make us happy. It will give us not, not that momentary, I got a chocolate cupcake happy, but real lifelong happy joy, contentment. That's what choosing good over evil, choosing God over evil does for us. And this is why God tells us what he wants is our worship and sacrifice to him. Now, in the context of this verse, uh, God is telling us that he does not want animal sacrifice. This is really uh, telling the Israelites that he wanted, this is what he wanted in place of like the rituals and the animal sacrifice. And this is Micah chapter six, verse eight. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Now the Hebrew word for uh, man used here, O man, is Adam. It's the same as he called Adam back in Genesis. Uh, the word for good, this is the same as the the word good that was used back in Genesis again, describing all that God had made. So he's telling us how to be good like that and how to create good like that. The word for require here, this means uh, this is what the Lord is seeking from us in worship and in service to him. That's that requirement. And these are the sacrifices he wants from us. And I want to look at each of these individually. So what is it to do justly? That sounds kind of weird to us, right? Some translations will say, do justice. And we would say it means to be just or fair in our decisions and in our actions, right? It's, this inherently implies that we are using judgment and discernment to make decisions. In our case, it also means that we are following as Christians, right? We are following the Lord's morality and conforming to his standard of correctness of what is right and what is good, what is just, not our own human thinking. But we are to act fairly with integrity in every circumstance. God has set that moral standard for us and we are not to cheat or lie or bribe, but deal honestly. Have you ever uh, been in a situation where you were dealing fairly and honestly and you go, at the end of the exchange, whatever was going on, whatever that event was, you go, well, that's what I get for being honest. You know, because you were honest and you were straightforward and somehow that ended up being a detriment to you if you've ever felt that way. But when we, when we do that, when we do what is just and fair and right, even if it is to our detriment, even when it does not benefit us, we are upholding God's will. But it's a choice that we must make. It doesn't happen automatically. We need to choose to do good, to do what God has told us and not do evil. Then we can have that satisfaction of knowing we are doing the right, just things that we are following the Lord. So one of the most evil things in life is apathy towards others. You may think it's hate, but in a way it's really apathy. 
simply not caring about others, maybe feeling like, well, they get what they deserve. You know, it's worse than hate because at least hate, you have some thought or some intent and that can be changed, right? But apathy comes from a very selfish, narcissistic concern over yourself to where to the point you just don't care about anything else. You're just apathetic. Nothing else matters except yourself. And that's why God says next to, uh, to love mercy. And some, some translations may say love kindness or love goodness. And the idea is to have a genuine desire to show kindness. And it relates to uh, partly being charitable, but it also implies to treating others with affection and respect as well as compassion Having compassion on someone is to see someone's distress and want to alleviate it. We want to help and make their situation better. And maybe even more than help or want to help, maybe we want, we uh, love to help. We would love to help them. It means to earnestly desire to make things better for someone else with no benefit to ourselves and, again, maybe to our detriment. Have you ever given someone something you needed? You needed it. You had it because you needed it, not because it was just a silly want or something like that. But you thought their need was greater or maybe you felt badly for them for some reason and you gave them something that you needed. So to your detriment, you chose to make this sacrifice to help them. Anytime we help others without the intent of benefiting ourselves, that is choosing good over evil, right? Again, we can be truly happy knowing that we've had a positive effect on someone else's life. This might even bring them to God or open a door to speak to them about the Lord if they're not a Christian. And that brings us to another evil that we want to avoid. The third one here, we want to avoid pride. The verse says to walk humbly with our God. But pride will tell us that we know it all. We can do it all by our own strength. We're smart enough. We can easily understand the world around us. We don't need God. I can be my own God. I can be my own moral compass. I know how to love and care for others. We are just fine. We don't need God. We see that in the world, right? But we also see how that's how that's working and it's not working so good. How are they helping the the mentally and emotionally ill? We see a lot of these people are just dumped on the street homeless. If they don't end up in jail, a lot of times they they end up in prison because they're they have mental and emotional issues, right? So how, how is the world or society helping those who are confused and deceived by the notion of transgender and homosexuality? Well, we can see that they actually promote the sickness rather than helping fix the problem, rather than helping these people. Doctors and people of science even are pushing destructive procedures that only do harm to the person. These actions and others like them prove that we do need God. We are just not 
going to automatically know the right things to do without God. When we acknowledge God as our provider of morality and wisdom, looking to him as our source of our lives, that puts everything into perspective. It reminds us that I am not that important. I am not that smart. I am not that strong. But my God is all that and more. He is all of that. When we choose to put our pride in the Lord and not ourselves, when we choose to listen and obey, when we put others first and lift them up to God, then we are choosing good over evil and growing closer to the Lord again. In all these things, we are learning and growing closer to God as his children by choosing good over evil. If there was no evil and no choice, we would not learn or grow any closer. We would be like the animals living by instinct. And animals are innocent in a sense. They are, you know, they only have rudimentary thoughts and emotions. They're not the same as us. But we are created to be much more. We are to learn and grow into a further spiritual likeness of God. Like earthly children grow and mature into a likeness of their parents. And for this reason, for the purpose of spiritual growth, hard things are required of us, like the choice of good and evil. If we look at some of these hard things that we see in the Bible that people had to go through, I just want us to see a few examples, and maybe these will be encouraging to us. If we look at Exodus chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one was Shiphrah, and the name of the other was Puah, and I'm probably getting these names wrong. And he said, When you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. These women had to make a hard choice to do good or evil. And there was a real danger in disobeying Pharaoh. This is basically the king of Egypt. They would have, their title was Pharaoh, right? So he could easily have them killed for disobeying. So they were taking a real chance in making this choice. However, God blessed them when they chose not to do this and not follow through with this. And we can see the results of their decision. Basically, they were committing an act of civil disobedience, not violent. They were not being violent. They were not doing anything wrong, but they were disobeying what he had told them to do. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, And a man of the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, 
put the child in it and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. The first thing I want us to notice here, which is kind of kind of an aside, is uh, Moses' parents. Because that's who we're talking about here. The beautiful child is Moses, right? But this is Moses' parents. They're not even named. Just their tribe. They're just they're just regular people living a regular life, right? They're of the tribe of Levi, but they're just regular people. They're not even named. And they had this decision to make, and in that sense, in a way, I think they represent us and the hard decisions we have to make in life. So they had to make this hard choice, and especially for a mother to give up her child is very difficult. But if she didn't do something, the rule at that point was going to be that he would be cast into the river. He would be drowned. So she was trying to do something to save her child, right? Now, the world will say it's sometimes it's hard knowing good and evil. You know, is it more evil to kill the child or to take a chance on the child having an unknown life without you knowing what the results are going to be? The child might end up in a bad or hard life, maybe poor. The child could still die. That, that's true. And a large segment of society would probably side a little bit with Pharaoh and say, just kill the child and be done with it. They would say that's more humane. But we know that's Satan's deceit, right? The mother chose, of course, good and life for her child and trusted God that he would intervene or take care of the child, and she was rewarded. Moses lived, of course, and uh, she still got to be a part of his childhood, if you remember. Moses was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. He actually had a good life as a member of the Pharaoh's household, you know, the ruling family. Uh, the fact that uh, his daughter, Pharaoh's daughter, had adopted him also kind of shows that goodness and kindness does not really have any boundary. Regardless of our backgrounds and upbringing, we can choose good or evil. God's morality is for everyone. Then if we look at the next verses here, well, it's not the very next verses, but down in verses 11 through 12, we can see the results of the upbringing that Moses had. And we can see these results in three actions that he takes. And I, I believe these actions are part of the reason God chose him. Not Maybe not the whole reason, but part. Because I think they show a certain thing about Moses. In Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Now we don't condone murder, even though some could say maybe it was justified homicide, but from the things I read, and from the things, the way this reads, we uh, can believe that Moses just wanted his people to be treated justly, fairly, right? 
He just wanted to do justice. Even when it came to the way they acted between each other, just the next verses down in Exodus chapter 2, and when he, Moses, went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting, and he said to the one who did wrong, so notice that, he's talking to the one who did wrong, why are you striking your companion? And then this guy replies, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. But the point here is that even between his own people, Moses wanted to do justly. He wanted to step in and help the one that was being mistreated and try to correct the one that was doing the mistreatment, right? So he wanted them to be uh, kind and fair to each other. So if we look at the next verses down, Exodus 2, verses 15 through 19, when Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water, and they filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. Then they came to rule, best pronunciation I'm going to do, their father. He said, how is it that you have come so soon today? And they said, an Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds, and he also drew enough water for us and watered the flock. So you notice they say he delivered them, and if you read in verse 17, the, uh, the word for helped in, in this translation, the word for helped is actually a word for saving, delivering, avenging. Um, Moses, you know, he defended them from these shepherds, from these shepherds who were mistreating them. So here again, we see that Mo Moses is doing justice and he's helping others. He, here he's a stranger in a strange land. He's just like, you know, fresh off the bus, you might say, or whatever. He's just there, and he's helping them, and he's helping water their flock. So he had a desire to see justice done and to help others, to alleviate their suffering. And Moses was humble. Numbers 12, chapter 3, uh, verse 3, sorry, Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. Uh, now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men, who are on the face of the earth. Now you may find it hard to accept that Moses was humble because sometimes I know when we read, he sounds maybe a little harsh or a little angry at times, but uh, Moses had a lot going on. Uh, but being humble is putting others first, putting their needs before your own. And these things prove Moses' humility and kindness toward others, toward the children of Israel. He gave up a life in Pharaoh's court to help those people. He gave up his life in Midian to help these people. He was in Midian 40 years, had a family, had a life. Now, not only did he give up this first life in Pharaoh's court, which would have been, that would have been a big deal. That was a prestigious life. He gave that up. 
But then later, after spending 40 years and having a family and being in Midian, when God calls him, he gives that up. He gives that up because God asked him to and to help his people. There's And all throughout their time in the wilderness, all the time that Moses led them, there were so many times he pleaded for their lives. He begged God for their lives because they had sinned and rebelled. And God was like, well, let's just look. I've got an example here. Okay. We look at Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. Furthermore, the Lord spoke to me. This is when they made the golden calf. Moses was up on the mountain, right? He was getting the Ten Commandments and all that. He was getting the law. And they made the golden calf, which they knew better than to do. But nonetheless, furthermore, the Lord spoke to me saying, I have seen this people, and indeed they are a stiff-necked people. Let me alone, and I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. And I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. The Lord was willing to wipe them out and start over with Moses. But Moses, like so many times, he prays for them, he begs for their forgiveness that they would not be wiped out. A lot of times he prostrates himself when he, when he does this and begs God not to kill them. So Moses was not apathetic or uncaring and he chose good over evil, and he prayed for their lives over and over. And each time, God, God heard Moses, and he relented. Who does that make you think of? For me, it makes me think of Jesus, right? He mediates for us. He pleads the blood over us so that the Father forgives us and accepts his sacrifice in our place. Again, the Lord cares. He's not apathetic. He chooses good over evil, and he chooses to save us, whether we deserve it or not. Now, one interesting note with, the, uh, with Moses and the children of Israel. It's kind of strange to think about this, but it's something I noticed. At that point in time, when God appeared to Moses, they were so out of touch that Moses did not know God's name. He said, who should I say is sending me, right? Now, Abraham and them previously had known God's name, but they did not know it here at this point. And then God, of course, told him. But it's easy for us as humans to forget, you know, the lessons we've learned in the past or the lessons of history. But Moses had a good heart to do the things God wanted, to choose good over evil. And that is still what we are called to do. If we notice this from Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 7 to 11, Josh had mentioned this in class Wednesday evening, actually. Um, so you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel, Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. 
but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Therefore, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus you say, if our transgressions and our sins lie upon us and we pine away in them, how can we then live? Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? So do we do we kind of recognize this idea? Do we does this not seem a little bit familiar in a way? I know it's I know it's a little different, but it's not drastically awfully different. Jesus has told us to go into all the world and to tell them, right? So that basically we are the watchmen. We are the watchmen of the world, not just of Israel but we are the watchmen of the world. It is our job to tell others, to warn others about sin. It's a hard task, and they're not going to want to hear it, but it's necessary. As God the Father has warned us and taught us, we have to do the same. And this is another way in which we grow spiritually and become more like the Lord as we do this. When we speak of sin and warn others, we are, again, choosing good over evil. To warn them is the good and right thing to do. And we choose to not be apathetic and uncaring. We warn them because we do care. We want to help and save others. So, why doesn't God just end it all now, right? Just be done with evil once and for all. Well, verse 11 is part of the reason he doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. He wants them to turn to him and live, and he cares for all mankind. And that's why he tells us to pray for all men. Even though some of the people we pray for, we may feel are corrupt or godless. Therefore, this is in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving thanks be made for all men, all mankind, everyone, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants everyone saved. He wants us to even pray for those who are in authority. Who The ones in authority might be the hardest ones to pray for sometimes, and we just have to admit that, but do it anyway. Because sometimes it seems like they are really out of bounds. I know. So I understand that, but at the same time, this is what the Bible is telling us that we have to do. So unfortunately, though, God knows that uh, not everyone will make that right choice. And there will be a time mentioned here when, uh, for the sake of his people, he will bring an end. 
If we look at Matthew 24, chapter 24, verses 21 and 22, for them there will be great tribulation, such as has not been seen, has not been, I'm sorry, has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. There will be a time when the choice will be done. When to save as many as possible from the evil around them, kind of like bringing Lot out of Sodom, the Lord will return and take us all. There will be no more time for choosing. And this is one of those times where Choosing not to choose is not really a choice. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, the Lord says, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. We must choose good or evil, and it can't be man's idea of good or evil. It must be God's. It must be based on God's morality, not ours. And this is a, a call for repentance and a change of heart and the humbling of ourselves that is needed, that we defer to God's morality and wisdom and love, that we choose to follow the Lord's example in a world of really confusion and deceit. And this is the hard thing that God asks of us. It's hard because the world does not understand God's justice and truth. The world prefers corruption and lies. So why does God allow evil so that we, as people with free will, can see evil for what it is and choose God? And that's a choice for us every day. Are we going to choose good over evil? Will we choose God And it's a choice for today, for anyone who needs to make it. You know, a side has to be chosen, like Jesus is implying here. You can't get to heaven by straddling the fence because there is no fence. It is black and white. It is with him or against him. There is good and there is evil. There is God and there is Satan. And what is your choice today? Do you choose justice and kindness and humility? Won't you choose God and love? And if there's anyone here who has a need to make that choice, to choose the Lord, or if anyone has any other issue, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.